0: Hello, welcome to the Creighton Crowbar. It is Thursday the 30th of April. Uh, It is episode 321 and I am Alex Wiltshire and with me tonight are Grey Watcher of the Eastern Wall, Graham Smith.
1: Hello, happy to be back.
0: And Ludomancer extraordinaire. (laughs) Tom Francis. Hello, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey. So um so big big uh big news for assassins this evening. Uh we've got a new um Assassin's Creed coming
2: uh, Yeah. They announced this by uh live streaming somebody drawing the key art for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of cool actually. Like that's a interesting way to reveal. I have to wonder like was that really like they're drawing the actual key art? And it was live uh is that right like or was it pre-recorded yeah i thought i thought it was pre-recorded
0: oh well it just didn't need to be live didn't it Did, unless they were sort of chatting on the i don't think there
1: was that. any audience interaction or anything like that if it was live then fucking hell that was bold wasn't it <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah that's what i thought it's like as an artist I, mean, I don't, i don't know what it's like but um you know I'm sure streaming itself is a little bit nerve wracking and then streaming, like, uh, this is what you're drawing is as you're drawing it. It's like a Rolf Harris kind of thing. Like, can you tell what it is yet? <laughs> can you tell what period it is yet?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I like I,
0: just... I like the way that it kind of made dramatic the sort of the very nature of drawing, like, oh, we're just going to leave the, the most emblematic things until last. Whereas would usually I'd imagine that you'd probably, I mean, obviously you'd want the background in early, but you'd probably put a lot more focus on the on the foreground stuff if you just destroying normally he yeah. did
1: spend like four hours just tinkering with the grass and nothing but the grass <laughs> that's well all I, that's all i saw 40,000 people confirmed. watched the stream <laughs> screaming at it to do something else
0: looking so. i mean looking back like so when i looked at it there was a very kind of um sort of medievally sort of a castle very extraordinarily sort of um I don't know, 13th or 14th century classic sort of high walled castle, but this is not that era. We, we we were having a conversation. We were having a conversation, uh, the gang, uh, uh, the, the crate gang, as we call ourselves. Um, <laughs> about. Do it. <we>? Uh, <laughs> I've started that now. That, that, that's that's happening now. Can't believe the, I missed uh, another meeting.
2: <laughs>
0: the, uh, about the kind of historical era that it's meant to be, because things seem to be from the trailer a little bit um, and around. We've all seen the trailer, right? No, no actually, it's not. No, oh. I haven't. I oh. didn't have the chance. Hey, maybe we should do a live. Maybe we could watch
2: it. I do have it open here. On the screens. Really? <laughs> what a coincidence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like that Alex is trying to maintain
1: the ruse that we didn't I know. I thought
2: <laughs> I was <don't laughs> doing so well there. I don't know why. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe you've forgotten that Graham just told us he hasn't watched it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, shall we. we, shall we... Spontaneously, all will watch it together at the same
2: time, and we could talk yeah, about it. That it all, but my gut says yes. <laughs>
0: okay, I'm hitting play. Uh, now? Now. Now.
2: <laughs> okay, I went slightly early. Though, so, a English voiceover, bigging um, up how awful the Vikings are, we assume from context, saying they're heartless. Godless. Exactly. yeah uh, This is all. Oh,
0: it's feeling, feeling like it's setting up a load of stuff, only to, uh, to, to 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 throw them all to the ground in a minute, doesn't it? Have you seen the um, Vikings TV show? No, I haven't. Because I think that that is the. Um, it feels very much the watchword for this.
2: What it's doing is a uh, for the listeners is a clever juxtaposition of a voiceover condemning the Vikings while we see the Vikings doing things that almost look like what they're being accused of, but then actually turn out to be innocent and fine.
0: However, the English are most definitely absolutely evil
2: Man, wax seals are cool
0: He's written helpfully on, on that piece of scroll uh, The word war a, um, <laughs> That's the whole scroll It's just the word <laughs> war and the biggest trump you can write <laughs> It's the one Saxon word that we've inherited
1: <laughs> I, uh, I know a teenager who makes his own wax seals <laughs> in 2020 Oh
0: wow a teenager
2: Which is like, obviously...
1: like the most hipster thing I can think of.
2: <laughs> my main takeaway from this trailer was I wish we should we brought wax seals back. I wish like we had to sign emails with wax seals somehow. <laughs> you could 3D print my wax seal on your end. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was um I was waiting for that little bit. There's, so they all get off the boats. There's a great big a uh, volley of fiery arrows comes towards them, and they shout, shields! Because um, that's that's the Viking TV show's thing as well. He's very proud of its one piece of history, which is uh, that they used shields <laughs> and they <laughs> held shields up. Despite having quite small shields,
2: they held shields up a lot as their main war thing. Incredible innovation. <laughs> so we see a weapon being thrown, and I think Marsh was speculating that that might be a um might be telling us that's a feature. That was in Assassin's Creed three though, right? You could throw tomahawks in that, I feel sure. Oh yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah.
1: This is um I mean they're in a big open field at the moment. Oh look, there's there's the bird. There's the bird that you're gonna use to scout yeah.
0: it, It's and it's gonna be Odin's eye, isn't it? It's gonna be a raven. <laughs> for sure. yeah. but,
1: but what are you gonna be climbing up? There's nothing to like run across the roof of in this big <laughs> yeah. field. Woad, gentle rolling hills. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> Hill parkour, they're going to invent. <laughs> so, there was also
0: some discussion about the um, the big bad um, Saxon soldiers', soldiers uh, helmet, which is quite Sutton Hoo y, and yet he's got this sort of Roman kind of plume on it, red hmm. plume, which seems. Who or
2: what is Sutton Hoo?
0: Sutton, who is, a, is a, a Saxon burial site in Suffolk where there was a ship, um, and inside the ship there's a very famous helmet, which you'll definitely recognize. Ah, right. Yeah, the, got the guy's helmet like did look one. familiar. Yeah.
2: I quite like the
1: surprise wrist blade at the, at the end. I sort of forgot. Yeah, it's well done. I forgot up until that moment that <laughs> this was an Assassin's
2: Creed game. They, I've got to say, they, they got me perfectly. They paced it perfectly because at that exact moment I was thinking, where is the assassin in all this? <laughs> <laughs> He's very
0: overt.
1: <laughs> what's the what's the animal on the art at the end? Was that looks like a is a oh, is a big wolf?
0: <laughs> he's called um he's called um either wolf lover or wolf oh, touched okay. or wolf licked or something.
1: That's a very bear looking wolf.
2: Yeah, it does look like a bear. But then like video game animals, you know. <laughs> <That was insane>. <laughs> <laughs> oh you can actually in that, that key art as well, you can see the raven in the background, like right next to his head. <laughs> I, I, like, I must um, admit,
0: I, I've been looking forward to um, an Assassin's Creed set in, in England for a long time, or Britain, Britain in a long, for a long time. And that is well, surely you you had had very code, parochial uh, be happy. of me. Oh, God. <laughs> I could
2: be forgotten about it. And guess what? I never even played it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I give gamers what they want. They just ignore you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, lordy. Yeah, but so I, this is, right, middle ages I understand that the, uh, the play field is going to be between, like, is it Norway and, and UK? I guess so. UK, but, you know, Don't know. Um, I think I heard that somewhere. And so... Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, Norway. We're sailing between them. I also heard it a, was
1: by the Ubisoft studio that did Black Flag, which was the good Bolton
2: yeah.
1: Assassin's Creed, wasn't yeah. it?
0: Well, them and another fifteen other studios. Well, I'm yeah, not but... actually. I'm not overstating that. I think it's fourteen or fifteen studios. On this really? <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: my god! That's insane.
0: <laughs> well, there's a lot of there's a lot of land to cover. A lot of land, and all that there's dual wielding and throwable axes. So that's a lot to that's a lot
2: to develop. Can I um, wield different weapons in each hand and then independently throw them? Yes. I don't know why
0: I'm asking, as if that's been enough. That that was (laughs) Ubisoft, um, York uh, did that. (laughs) That's all they did. (laughs)
2: Because that was, it's actually pretty rare to have that, uh, like, sort of completely freeform dual wielding thing. Because that was in Hitman, I think it was in Hitman 1, maybe? And they took it out. Yeah, they took it out for two. Like Hitman 1, you could sort of independently assign weapons to each of your hands and then fire them both simultaneously. And it was it was completely over-engineered. You didn't need it, but uh, they obviously thought it was cool. And then later they realized that was a lot of work. <laughs> Let's not do that again.
0: I do get the sense with dual wielding in general that it is, um, it's, a, it's a concept, which is only really there to be cool. Because if you've got a well-designed weapon, you don't need two really, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I, I never really
2: understood the appeal basically. I have been axe throwing uh, in the last year and uh, you can throw two axes at once. That's a thing you get taught. <laughs> it's way, way harder, but it's, I think that's the thing where if I face When you see it in like fantasy things, you always think, ah, that's bullshit. Like, you know, to actually do it well or accurately, you'd need to only throw one at a time, but no, nope, you can throw two. <laughs> I suppose it's just
0: performing the same thing. As long as you can perform symmetrically, it's all good. <laughs>
2: yeah. I still don't really know. So the way... It's like an axe throwing range you stand a fixed distance away and so you learn through repetition to get the hang of like what you know uh, rotational speed to throw it out so that the blade ends up hitting first but uh it's hard to imagine how you do that in like a battlefield where both you and the target are moving and uh judging that spin so that it's an exact multiple of 180 degrees <laughs> seems a lot of actually exact multiple of 360 degrees is there, and I'm definitely disquieted from the fact
0: by the fact that you're throwing away your weapon as well.
2: Is
1: there any historical evidence that this was an actual thing? <laughs> that people threw axes as, as a weapon? <laughs> Look, they,
2: they found a lot of axes on the ground quite far from the people <laughs> with, with no <laughs> weapons. <laughs> so is,
1: my impression is that the response to this announcement has been way more excited than any Assassin's Creed game I've seen announced in a long, long time. It feels as if Odyssey did a lot of work to make people fall in love with that series again.
2: Yeah, people seem positive. I, I feel like Odyssey itself had a decent buzz around it because um, all the changes they were talking about were pretty different to Origins. New Origins is very... Um, uh, yeah, you played as a single fixed character and um, mm. uh, all the stuff about sort of turning cities to your side in Odyssey was, I remember people being excited about that and it did turn out to be quite cool. I guess Origins big, was a... Like, uh,
1: sorry, go ahead. I guess Origins was a kind of soft reboot, wasn't it? Because that was the one where they'd taken two or three years out or something to yeah. before making it after the disaster of the one before it. So I guess since then <laughs> they've been kind of building up again
2: yeah um that was like the shift to rpg basically like let's make mm. it a proper full open world thing with levels and leveled health and stuff and people i don't know that i feel like they've they've made good on that or they've they've figured out how to do it i think origins had some teething problems where um the leveling stuff was a big uh mental stumbling block for people who are used to how the series used to work you know you can't just drop assassinate somebody and be sure of killing them um, it's all about the numbers and, uh, a level 25 enemy is going to have like a hundred times the health of a level one enemy. Um, and that's a little bit weird at first, but then I think it pays off in terms of just giving the landscape a texture and just like having a sense of like, Oh God, this is a really dangerous area. I've got to be super careful. Um, and I guess to some extent having a sort of feeling of progression and then honestly, yeah, that,
0: that loot system was, was awfully kind of, um, compelling
2: yeah i I think that the thing that odyssey fixed for me was the out and out combat which is it's kind of mandatory in both games at times. Hmm. You know, you, you get to choose how to spec your character, but there are times in the story where they're just like, oh, at the start, at the end of this cutscene, you're already being attacked by people and there's no room to escape and you've got to just fight them. And in Origins, I just hated that combat. It just made no sense to me. I got worse at it as the more I played it. <laughs> like My first few fights went better than, en- than the same enemies later when I came back with all I'd learned. Like, the more I learned about it, the less well I could do it, because I'm like, oh, this just doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> And then Odyssey, I'm not. I couldn't really tell you what the changes were, but Odyssey just kind of feels decent to me. It's, it's still not a thick part of the game I really especially enjoy, but it has moments of like when you're swinging a heavy mace in that game, it really feels like you're swinging a heavy mace, and um, just the logic of it made more sense, and I was able to like get through it.
0: Yeah, I wonder whether some of the excitement with um, with Valhalla is the. It's just the setting. I think that I think that sort of it just plays into lots of sort of fantasy sort of uh, expectations, you know, like anyone who likes Skyrim is just going to be instantly recognize the color scheme and sort of feel, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to play. You know, great big world sort of, I think, the fighting, Viking fantasy just works so well for this series as well, you know, as a concept. Mm. It's sort of
2: Something I really hope they bring back from odyssey is the cultists web thing you know a yeah. huge screen of just like there are these 48 people out there somewhere in this world they're already there you could find them if you just went to the right place but if you want to gather intel here's where to look for oh this guy owns a mine in this in this area um and some of those were really gated and you just like you literally can't do this until you reach this point in the plot but others were more free form and just if you get there and you figure it out or if you do some side quests in that area um you get the info you need and i just i loved that methodical thing of just knowing like there's a dude like three kilometers in that direction he's marked on my heart and i'm just gonna go there by boat and (coughs) by horse and by climbing over stuff until i get there and and
0: assassinate them so that's what i always wanted from this assassin's creed games from the start really without you know that fantasy of there being somebody in the world somebody sort of who is who i can locate and he is there they are to there to be assassinated because you know what it actually boiled down to for the first few games was you know you're just playing story missions and they're not really in the open world until you've triggered the story mission you know which is almost like an instanced thing and i you know that's yeah that's the, the thing that i really liked about that system thinking about this setting though like sort of i think one of the things about it is that it's meant to be in this britain which is lots of different kingdoms and lots of vac factions all vying for for power and things with with the walk with, with the vikings sort of walking into the middle of it um i i get i would guess that there's going to be a lot more sort of interfaction stuff going on so presumably you, you maybe you'll do suffer one side like building on that system between the spartans of the athen athenian athen, athenians athenians, athenians. athenians uh from 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 Odyssey which did i i didn't really get into it. i didn't, never really understood what my part in it was and it always seemed odd that i'd gone to war <laughs> murdering everyone in the camp and then some captains going hey will you do a job for me yeah you know, they just like even in the
2: main plot you end up working for both sides um and you just sort of have to and it's a, they're a weird dividing line of like they seem to both expect you to care about this but also you can't care about it because you're going to be forced to work for both and yeah and also
0: they would you know that they would turn on you from being but from being friendly as well and i never really understood what you know the 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 parameters of of the relationship i was meant to have with them
2: yeah i i tried to actually invest in it because i one thing i liked about it was you get a choice fairly early on about like here's your dad he's been a jerk do you forgive him or or hate him still and I was like, hate him, just <laughs> fucking kick him <laughs> off a cliff. <laughs> um, and he's a Spartan. And from then, I was just like, okay, fuck all Spartans. I'm always on the Athenian side. I don't really know anything about the Athenians, but they're not Spartans, so <laughs> I'm, I'm with into them. Going to
0: hours and libraries,
2: so they're all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I felt like the game didn't invited me to ha- to make that choice and to so- take a side, and then just didn't let me stick to it. It's just like, oh, you just can't do that. <laughs>
1: Apparently, this new one's got base building stuff in it. Here we go. Yeah, so I heard. not you
2: have just like one village, and then you build that up?
1: Uh, I wasn't. I didn't know. Realize it was just one village, but yeah, like you, you're building it up. Apparently, you can add a tattoo parlor to it, and then you can <laughs> use that yourself in order to tattoo your character <laughs> as part of the character customization <laughs> stuff. But also, it's like there's like a, a raising system where you can go to port towns and villages and stuff like that. Raid them in order to get resources, which you can then spend to upgrade your own
2: HQ, I guess. Hmm. I wonder about the uh, how they're, they're going to make that feel right in terms <laughs> sort of like, am I the bad guy? <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: yeah, Chris was, Chris was pointing out that kind of like, yeah, will you be taking many slaves in this game? <laughs> Given that was most of their money that the Vikings made that's what they founded Dublin for.
2: I mean, I guess the way that they'll navigate it is what these games often do, which is where, although your character comes from one side, they there'll be characters on that side who are villains, who are like, oh, they want to take all the slaves <laughs> and you'll speak up against them. And like, no, we shouldn't be like that.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, surely this is the thing that came up in the last game, set in Greece, said the game before that, set in Egypt, Right, like how did they deal with slavery and those sorts of issues?
2: Uh good question. You would think having played, you know, <laughs> like having completed Odyssey and having played a huge number of quests in it, that I would, you know, remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I don't. I what I do remember is somebody else criticizing it for that. In terms of, uh, I think each time it's raised, you get to sort of tut at slavery. But <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> uh, I think it's always tough to do this because you. You can't have the character uh, be cool with it, but you also kind of can't... It always it rings false when you just have the character have an incredibly modern attitude about it <laughs> just out of nowhere. Yeah. Just oh, It's clear to me that this is completely wrong and will be um, gone in the future.
1: Uh, I, actually, I've spent a lot of time on the Grecian equivalent of Tumblr, and I've learned that slavery is bad. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: What else has been going on? Oh, I was I was interested to um, see that um, Fortnite um, has been given a new island, which is entirely gun-free, and all you can do uh, is play mini-games and socialize with with people, with your friends and whatnot. Huh. Which um, I was um, I was banging on a few months ago about um, Roblox, and, and I think I said then I wrote it I wrote about it a little bit as well, and about the fact that. That on Roblox, um, these sort of uh, the most popular games on it are basically socializing and, and, and mini games places where you just go into a 3D world, play if you play around in this whole playful environment and chat to your friends. And I always I wondered and I have wondered for ages why hasn't there really been anything like that in mainstream big bucks games? Like, I suppose there's a little bit of it in um, GTA Online and things like that, but you know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much it's used as sort of a total chill out zone, but in the same way that it is in um, in Fortnite or in, in uh, Roblox. And then Fortnite, let's stick it in. We'll do music concerts. Oh, yes. uh, we'll do you know. We'll do what what's huge on on Roblox as well. Let, let's make it an any everything game.
2: Oh, is that? Um, uh, I saw that concert where. where um... The dude was enormous, <laughs> you know, that one. <laughs> Everyone yeah. saw. I don't remember anything else about it. Someone went underwater at some point. Um, and was but was that part of this new gunless map?
0: No. No, I don't oh. believe so. No. It's a separate thing. So that that's just like an event. I think how Graham, do you know how many times that they played that um to the music show? Is it like four or five times or something?
1: Um, I don't know actually. I know they've done a bunch of different events that are similar to this because like around the last Star Wars film, for example, they showed an exclusive clip in-game which was presented beforehand by a digital version of, I think, J.J. Abrams and maybe Jeff Keighley as well was there. (laughs) He probably was. He's always there. I wish I could
0: have seen that. (laughs) My understanding
1: was that this stuff was happening just in the midst of like a regular Fortnite match and so that he could... Just still be getting gunned down while this was happening, but I'm not. I'm not <laughs> most sure. distracted
0: by JJ. <laughs> <laughs> not uh, It was Travis Scott. Was this concert that was and 27 yeah. million people watched it. Yeah, it's crazy. Like you know, so worth it. You know, did I? Th- I thought the performance was. Just, I thought that the staging and the it, like the the way it was presented was just extraordinary. Like to be there would be hell of a cool. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, see like it the, it's like.
3: Yeah.
1: It's as if the character is in the skybox. Like, yeah. it's, <laughs> you know, the thing you get, I don't know if other games do it this way, but in Half Life 2, the skybox would be like a little miniature set of skyscrapers built somewhere outside the level that then had a camera pointed at it. And then the what the camera was seeing was then projected into the sky at enormous scale. And so it was almost like you could as the as a player then go no clip over to that zone. And if you were yeah. on a multiplayer map with someone else, you would then appear giant to whoever else was in the regular map. <laughs> and so I like to just pretend that these musicians are getting trapped in the skybox. I mean no
2: clipped.
0: Yeah. I and I, what I also liked about it is that some of the visual effects looked straight out of sort of demo scene stuff. You know, this these geometric shapes flying at you and mm. color you know, light shows and you know i while it was you know, it, it's it's modern popular music kids but it's like i, I like <laughs> the fact that it also harkened to in you know wonderfully dorky kind of old people's computery stuff as well <laughs> which is fitting for kind of epic given you know tim sweeney that's his that's his that's his jam hmm. Yeah. So um what uh what have we been playing? Tom, what have you been playing?
2: I have of course been playing Xcom Chimera Squad, um which uh we talked about uh uh well I talked about the announcement of it and then Tom Senior talked about actually playing it. Um and now I have also played it. I it's of special interest to me because it's so similar in some of its changes uh to the XCOM formula uh to tactical witch Wizards, which is the game i'm working on and it's fascinating to play their take on it it's been a bizarre experience because it's so much the game they're making is so much what i wanted you know they're making so many changes that you know i wanted this so much i made this change <laughs> um, <laughs> and but i'm starting to realize their i think their motives must have been different because they the reason I wanted, you know, small controlled encounters was to solve the clarity problems of XCOM, because XCOM takes place on multiple levels, uh, walls are forever getting in the way of what you're, you're trying to see, everything's kind of a bit glitchy and, and ambiguous, and people can shoot through walls sometimes, and people stand on top of each other in weird ways, and uh, there's all these problems to do with that. And they've just brought all that over, <laughs> like it's smaller arenas, but they'll have all of those problems in space of just forever having walls obscure my vision. Um mm. I can't see where somebody is because they're on top of something uh, and then anim- get shot by an enemy I didn't know was in the arena at all because they're hidden mm. behind something. Like all of that, they've packed it all into a tighter space, but it's all still there. So um, that makes me think like, oh, so your reason for doing that was not the same as, uh, there was just coincidence that you also thought there should be small arenas. It wasn't apparently to increase clarity. Um, and then the, another thing, another major thing from XCOM that I was keen to avoid and another reason to split things into individual encounters was the... Uh, huge difficulty spikes in XCOM from the randomness. And so this is, I probably hardcore players would, would, would dispute that this is randomness. But for me, when I'm playing XCOM 2, I'm inching my people forwards and I inch five of them forwards, painstakingly into perfect cover. And the sixth one also goes into perfect cover, the last spot taken. But because there are no other spots, it's like one square further forward than some of the others. And that's what triggers two pods of enemies, which then both activate all those enemies run to cover and none of my other people can take a turn because they all just use their actions. So this turn, and uh, then I'm just get absolutely torn apart by this huge squad, um, just because I, I clicked on one square that I couldn't have known was going to trigger all these people. Um, and the only way to avoid that is to you know move one person forwards and then never move anybody else further than that until you've done and just inch forwards even more painstakingly, even more boringly. Um, and I always felt disproportionately punished for that in XCOM. And it, it led to these crazy, like, taking on two pods of enemies is more than twice as hard as taking on one. If you do everything incredibly painstakingly and rigorously and carefully, you only ever take on one pod at a time, pretty much. And so the game is less than half as difficult to, than if you don't. Hmm. And sometimes you're talking to get three pods of enemies. A pod, by the way, is just like a group of, like, four four or five enemies. Um, and the difference is just insane, at least these massive spikes. And sometimes that's what costs you, your, you know, your favorite, Member or or worse, it just like wipes out a couple of your best guys, and from then on, your campaign is basically unwinnable because the people who replace them and new recruits they can never catch up on the on the skill curve, and your whole campaign is scotched. This you so it doesn't have that exact problem because it is controlled encounters, and you know about in theory you know all the enemies that are in that encounter, and you can't trigger a new one, you can't stumble into a new group of enemies. But they've reinserted that random difficulty by just. Uh, your objective is usually to like stop the enemies from killing a VIP or stop the enemies from leaving. Uh, quite often, the enemies are trying to like get away or they're trying to get to a particular console or something and activate it. And it randomly assigns which ones will be doing, doing this. And there are obviously, when the thing you're trying to stop them from doing is reaching a door, there are... Uh, several important ways that enemies differ from each other and how hard it's going to be to stop them from doing that. One is how much health they have, and the other is how close are they to the door right now? (laughs) And sometimes there's one on the climactic mission of one of these threads, there's sort of different um, investigation threads you can follow, and there's three of them, and you do them all, but you choose what order. The climax of one of those, my goal is to stop, uh, I won't spoil anything story-wise, but my goal is to stop uh, the the enemies are all trying to activate this one thing on the other side of the map, and I've got to stop them from doing it. And it's random who tries to do it. The person who tried to do it was the boss, who is, uh, he's a, of uh, a type of enemy that we've encountered before, but it's like a mini boss type enemy with a huge health bar and a massive uh, armor. Uh, and every time you hit him, he gains more armor. Um, <laughs> and in addition to that, he's also immune to a whole load of things like sort of, uh, you have various attacks that can kind of disable somebody or, or pull them over to you. Uh, those work on his type normally, but this because he's a boss, he's immune to all of those. And he starts right next to the objective. If it selects him to activate the objective, he goes there in his first turn. There's no, physically no way we could ever reduce that health bar to zero before he gets a turn. <laughs> when he gets a turn, that's mission over. Mission failed. The whole thing's over. <laughs> so he just so I just had to restart that mission three times until it randomly selected enemies that weren't right next to the objective and indestructible. <laughs> so it's it's bizarre. They they sort of did all this work that effectively remove those random difficulty spikes and then just sort of put them back in 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 basically a worse way. Like, I don't remember anything in XCOM and the previous XCOMs being that, like, binary of just if it rolls this way, you just cannot win. I should say, though, um, I'm... I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is my thing with XCOM, and this is why I thought it was worth making a game in this genre, was I would play XCOM for like 200 hours. And if you ask me, how's XCOM going? I would just rant for four hours on everything that's wrong with it. Like, oh, the cloudy, oh, that fact. I'm dying. I'm permanently losing super important units because of straight up bugs or UI... Uh, catastrophic ui that's lying to me and misleading me and it's awful it's awful it's awful uh also i'm going to play it again tonight for another six hours <laughs> <laughs> and i thought like if the game can be that good with this many problems then if you fix some of those problems then you would have an incredible thing um and then they seem to i thought be doing that um and weirdly that you know my two biggest problems seem to be either unindressed or or addressed and then reintroduced in a new form <laughs> um so that's that's been the sort of like uh, frustrating part of playing it or the sort of, I don't know, baffling part of playing it. But then the, the upside of playing it is like, A, it's XCOM again, which I really, really like, and then B, um, because it's unique characters, basically everyone is their own class. And so rather than having sort of four main classes with some sub-variants sub, sub variants you can get to by specking them differently, instead you have about nine different classes um, and uh, they sort of let themselves go a bit more characterful with them as well. They're a bit more exaggerated. They're different to each other. Mm-hmm. Some of them are aliens, so they can do alien things. There's a snake and the snake can lick people from across the battlefield <laughs> and pull them towards <laughs> her with her tongue. And then, so um, what Who's
0: in your core team? Like who's who are your, who are your faves?
2: I, um, currently it's blue blood, the pistol guy. Um, huh. Uh, oh, uh, Zephyr, who is the melee hybrid lady, um who's Australian, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, Godmother, the assault lady uh, with mm. the shotgun, and usually either Verge or Cherub. Verge is the mm. psionics guy who can lift people up or, or stupor them. And Cherub, Cherub I benched for a long time, and then I had I had enough missions where we lost because the objective was protect this VIP, and on turn one, the enemy just shoots the VIP. <laughs> and Cherub can at least, if, if they go first, they can... Put a shield on that um, enemy, sorry, on that VIP, and that'll block any, uh, block the first hit they take. So I, I re, reintroduce Cherub. Um, yeah, and that's, that's my usual team. How about you?
0: Uh, similar, I mean, I, I haven't, I'm not as far as you, so I haven't met Zephyr or anything, but I've, I've yeah, Cherub and Verge, Godmother, and then I've been going between um, uh, snake, snake Lady and er uh, who's ooh, who's the other one can't remember blue blood is so I, uh, I i don't really like games that make me bench people you yeah. know and then this is a game where you have to actually invest that character for several turns um in a project in you know and if you haven't got a project on the go that's bad but also the game really lets you know about it you know it does <laughs> yeah. not want you not to have any to have anybody um you know not doing something and um and it get, and I'm just sort of like I, I've got nothing against blue blood at all but he came in at a point at which um I'd leveled up my you know the, the that first four um, team members that you get from the start of the game level them up a couple of times you know they're doing well I know what I'm doing with them new guy comes in Oh, I've just been, I, I have him get the Gladhand hand people, which is one of the projects. <laughs> or is it is, is special the special operations one? by the way? Yeah, Not, was just that a money That's, or a, is that's it... spec ops. Yeah, um, yeah glad handing is the money one. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like he earns money, like earning money. Or he might be researching stuff. I don't know. But I, I I want to put him in. But also I've got all these much higher level characters who are more fun to use. And I just don't want to go back. I don't want to go back and sort of... Uh, um, I, I don't like that kind of design where I'm having to sort of stop using something with actually um, knowing that, that I'm, I'm letting myself down for the long run by by, by using them or not
2: using someone else. I, yeah, I'm a yeah, bit they, they try and fix that with um, uh, that training thing. Uh, and actually the spec ops as well. It's true. There are some which but there's some spec the training ops you can only do if you're a certain rank. And so but the training thing you have to actually to...
0: But you have to lose them for a couple of couple more turns for that and you're not even earning money that way around.
2: Yeah, I think pretty quickly you get to the point where you have enough that you can be both have someone assisting in research, someone training mm. and someone doing spec ops and then I actually have one person spare after that as well. Um, and anyway, what I was going to say is that the training, sorry, the spec ops thing there are some spec ops you're going to do with a uh, agent of a certain rank, and so that that's supposed to, I think, push you to bench your best people to have them do some really important spec op. But the spec ops are never that important, and they're all to do with the meta game. They don't really get you like, you know, a cool ability or anything like that. And then training, um, I think you're supposed to. Uh, supposed to be like, oh, well, rather than leaving someone on the bench and they're just kind of like getting more and more obsolete, you put them in training and then they're getting better and better. But the stuff they get better at is so basic and uninteresting compared to the people you're fielding and leveling up. And so when they yeah. level up, they get new abilities and those are really um, strong and make a big difference. Yeah. Uh, whereas just getting like another one health or getting plus 15 dodge or something, it's just, it's not exciting. And also it, it's not practical. It's not going to... Um, and equipment doesn't lead to often you gives you like, more anyway yeah um so i, I wish they'd I, it seems like there's loads of ways you could do this like one thing once you've got like six people why not have me take on two missions at once where i have to decide which mm. three people are going to go on this one which three people are going to go on that one and then well that's we a pretty that.
0: typical thing isn't it like you'd send a squad off to do a sort of automatic you know an automatic mission which they'll just come back with a bunch of xp you know and that's that's used in all sorts of other games
2: yeah, I was talking about actually like having you play both missions. Just you play them one after okay. the other, but in fiction they happen simultaneously. Because that's the thing we're talking about doing for wizards is um, we could just have you split your squad once it gets big enough. And um, in in fiction, these two things happen at the same time. But in, for you as the player, you get to play both of them out. Yeah,
0: that sounds like a solution.
2: I think you should write in with it. <laughs> it's. I did find I've usually been. Uh, When I get a new agent, I will field them. Um, And I don't feel the game has sort of prevented me from doing that. Um, Although we'll see the next time I get them because I'm pretty, everyone's, all my squad is almost all max level now. I think only only blue blood has not got his final ability. Um, Hmm. And in theory, I did, I started mixing my squad up slightly for the first time. Once I got, uh, once Godmother hit max level, I uh when it's not a climactic mission i benched her and brought in someone else to give them some xp to try and get more people up to max level and then you know each time someone hits max level they become eligible to be benched for a while because there's no longer any benefit to them to being on the squad it's only if i actually Mm. need them to win um and that's i guess that's that's making it a bit better um but yeah it's weird they don't they didn't come up with any effective way to encourage you to do that beforehand
0: yeah yeah i've been really surprised people you
2: pass up as well like the, yeah. you get offered a new agent and it will be three choices you pick one the the two other options for my first choice ever made have never come up again so those I probably won't get to see them in this whole campaign I have to start a whole new campaign to get access to those at all Some oh wow so there really are good. other characters like written characters which um, which basically you know you,
0: you won't be having actually be playing with if you don't choose them yep
2: yeah there's loads wow. of them um,
0: I think it's like 11 characters or something
3: hmm
0: I didn't know that Know that at all. The um, I'm definitely enjoying the session length, and I've seen a few people saying similar. But um, I'm enjoying the fact that the metagame is simple, (laughs) and that (laughs) I'm just going from mission to mission. I am. I always. I you know, this is not a novel thing to say at all. But but um, I I found XCOM too too stressful. I did not really. I just bounced off it. The three or four times that I tried to play it, because it's just things telling me things to worry about over and over again. I know that it eventually it settles into a rhythm and you get fully kind of invested, but I never got over that hump. And I just appreciate just having these really short form, really tight little um, encounters, which you know they can be uneven, but but I'm enjoying the the fact that it's just guiding me through to a large extent.
1: How long does like a single mission take to play for?
0: Maybe about, I'd say probably about ten minutes, maybe. But it's divided into you know, often it's divided into three or four, or three maybe, um, individual um, encounters one after the other. So you're kind of you breach the first area and then you breach (coughs) a second or third one, Um, and like a a threeer probably would take about ten minutes. Would you reckon, Tom?
2: Probably a bit longer for me, at least. Um, Yeah, feels like maybe five minutes per encounter, so like a longer. I definitely like some of the climactic ones have taken me maybe twenty minutes, but yeah, yeah, it's it's short compared to XCOM. XCOM would be like at least forty-five minutes for a mission
1: Mm. for me. Man, that sounds really nice. Actually, that makes me want to go play it. Just the fact that it's the missions are shorter.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's got. I really like the well. I the interleaved turns is a really interesting change. So, unlike. XCOM where you'd move all of your squad and then you click end turn and then the enemies move all of their people in this game. Um, everyone is interleaved in this one turn order. So it's going to be Godmother goes first, then one of the alien skirt does and then Cherub goes and then another alien does. Um, and that is a big change. And it's once you get the hang of it, there's a nice little mini game within that basically where um when you look at a room full of enemies in XCOM, you're thinking, okay, who's, who's the guy who's really going to mess us up? Who do we need to take out first? And you still kind of think that way. And I definitely did at first in, in Chimera Squad. But as I played more, I've realized, actually, it's not so much who's, who can do the most damage when they have their turn. It's just whose turn is it next? Because yeah. if you kill them before that turn happens, then they don't get that turn. And then it doesn't matter if you didn't take out the biggest threat yet, because now you've got one of your guys is going to go and then they can do that potentially.
0: Um, and I like the fact that it's not quite as simple as that, because you do, as you said, like you do still have to consider the most dangerous one. So you're kind of going, well, I could go for the weak one who's next, or I could go to the strong one who I've got to deal with at some bloody point.
2: Yeah. And also each each of your people, I've certainly got to the point where some of my people are better at dealing with certain things, like some of them can penetrate armor and some of them can't. And so it's like, well, you know, the turret's not the most important thing to kill. But on the other hand, this is blue blood. He's got the AP rounds. If anyone's going to kill it, he's going to. he needs to do it. So maybe I, I use his turn for that, just in case it's going to be the next one to cause me problems before anyone else can get in with that. Um, and yeah, it's really satisfying once you sort of crack this code and you realize like, oh yeah, if I just, I'm going to kill the enemy that's that's number two in the turn order, and in the same turn, I can uh, stupefy the one who's number three, which means just means he's going to skip his next turn. Uh, that means after that it's godmother's turn she can take out the person who's going to go number five and if you pull it off perfectly you can actually like clear a room without the enemies ever getting a turn um Mm. and it's you you need luck on your side to do that but um that's really satisfying when it works but it the the downside of the interleave turns is that it means that situational abilities are much less useful um and i've really felt that with there's a character whose like key signature ability is swap And as you probably already know, swap is one of my favorite abilities in every game that it's in. Uh, This is the first time swap has not been good. Um, And it works just the same way as it did in in XCOM um, War of the Chosen. Uh, And in theory, there are situations where it's super useful. um, But because you don't choose when this guy gets his turn, uh, that means I'm forever like, okay, it's my turn. And there's a perfect situation for swap, but I'm not controlling swap guy. I'm someone else for for this turn. And I can't just sort of switch to him and use his ability in this situation. And then by the time it gets the swap guy's turn, the situation's changed completely. And now the only spots enemies are in are spots it would be really bad for me to be in. And it uses up an action, so it's going to leave me kind of abandoned. He doesn't have the swap ability in XCOM War of the Chosen was on the Templar. And the Templar also was the melee class who, after they attack, could make themselves invulnerable to the next attack. And so swapping them into danger wasn't so bad because you could basically make them invulnerable. Um, obviously, if they got hit twice, that'd be bad. But um, it was usually a safe bet. They'd just take one hit and survive it, and it all paid off. This guy doesn't have anything like that, so he just swaps into danger, and he's just screwed. And it's going to be ages before he gets another turn. Um, and so with a really, really heavy heart, I just had to say, look, mate, sit down. <laughs> You're not coming on the next mission. Swap just turns out not to be very good here. Um and he gets I think there's some interesting stuff with him later on. I've heard talk of his later abilities, but um uh that's definitely the price you pay for interleaved turns, is just that if if your character's abilities are situational, they're four times less likely to be able to use them in the right situation. Mm.
0: I mean there is that there are those team up abilities, I guess meant to be in concert
2: with that. But yeah. Yeah. And that's you can only do that once per mission, and like you say, a mission true. can be up to three encounters. And so that is I don't really like that system having persistent consumables that last or, you know, abilities that have uses per mission when a mission can be up to three encounters and you don't know what the other encounters are going to entail. Naturally, you know, this is the most uh, well-known thing in game design. Basically, the player will hoard stuff if if there's any uncertainty about, you know, when they're going to get more or what they're going to need it for. And so I do, I, you know, pretty much don't use any if there's any permission ability, I'm not going to use it till the final phase unless I absolutely have to, unless it's like life or death. And um, that team up thing, once or twice, I have used it early because, like you say, that it's uh, a bit of a help for that situational problem where, you know, um, actually, I haven't really used it in that way. I haven't. Most of the time, I'm using it because the person I'm bringing up is going to be in trouble, like they need to move. Um, so I'll, I'll bring them up in the terminal order so that they can move before the enemy that's going to endanger them um, will take their attack um, but yeah that's uh, it helps a bit but i wish it wasn't per mission
0: yeah um, what do you think about the breach system as
2: a, a resident um, expert on such <laughs> matters um, i so i because i'm playing on gamepad that menu is hell (laughs) it is and this is (laughs) i don't want to be too hard on the game for this because it's great that it has gamepad support you know a lot of strategy games don't uh prioritize that and this is a pc only release at the moment so it's kind of cool that it shipped with gamepad support at all but i have to say the gamepad support is really ropey none of the menus feel like um basically so with a cursor you're clicking on these individual slots and icons and putting people into these slots Um, with a gamepad uh you're not controlling a cursor and there's this um, sort of invisible notion of like where your selection is and in chimera squad on the breach menu every time your selection starts on a slot that doesn't exist <laughs> so if you just if you just press the a button to bring down the sub-menu who you're going to put in the slot, it'll do it. It'll bring up the, the people and you choose one and they go nowhere because the, a slot that doesn't exist is selected. So every time at the start of that menu, you've got to remember to press right first before you select anybody in order to move it off the <laughs> invisible null slot and get it into slot number one. Um <laughs> And then it's just, it's forever. It doesn't, after you've put someone in a slot, the selection stays on that slot as well. So my natural thing is, okay, select Godmother, then select Blueblood. Oh, you've replaced Godmother with Blueblood now. So you're back to the start. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> every menu is like that. Like every, all of the intuitive ways that you would want to use it uh, undoes what you just did. Um, and the squad select, uh, you know, on like the city map, there's in the top right, there's who you're going to bring on the squad. Yeah, there's a it's button. the same principle, isn't it? There's a button to jump to that and uh, like this, the the most common situation is you've got three people in it there's one empty slot because you reassigned somebody somewhere and the game's going to yell at you forever about that um and so i hit the squad selection button and it brings up and it the the empty slot is like highlighted a little bit it's like got a as if it's selected but if you press select now and choose somebody, it'll look like you're putting someone in that slot, but actually you're replacing one of the valid choices. By default, it selects one of the valid choices to undo that. And so now you've taken two people out of your squad. And it's just, oh God. It's just like rubbing your belly and patting your head every time you use any of these interfaces. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was, that was kind of a digression because uh, uh, once you use the mouse to the breach menu, it's way easier to, to use. It is so intricate though. There's so much to it and there's so many rules that I'm still, I'm like 25 hours in, I'm still only just realizing, like for example, uh, if there's multiple entry points, each entry point is its own queue. Uh, Each queue is a number of slots. You can put people in different slots, but also um, some slots are locked by what people have in their inventory. And then also, also when you slot them, They might have multiple different abilities that they could use at this breach, but they can't use that other ability if they're the first one through the breach, and they can't use it in this other situation, and they can't use it in that situation. And then also that entry point will have a buff on it um, that affects only the person who's last through it. Um, And this other one has one that only affects the person who's first through it. But actually one of your people might be kind of immune to that buff, like my fists person. It doesn't matter if their weapon gets disabled because their weapon is their fists. (laughs) Um, And there's just so many layered rules. And then I only just discovered like 20 hours in that those groups of queues, you can reorganize those as well. So you can, there's little like arrows on them and you can click one of those, to, like put one further up in the priority order so that you'll breach through that entry first. Oh, um, what? So they'll be yeah.
0: first in the turn order?
2: Yep. Um, uh. So they'll be first in the breach turn and also first in, in the turn order from then on as well.
0: Because I remember there was a tooltip about it really early on in the game. Like, oh, you know, you, you've got multiple entry points, uh, but this will affect their, their, um, their turn, their turn order. But I didn't know how, and I still don't know how. It's not
2: intuitive. Yeah, yeah there's so much hidden information like that. Um, and those buffs for the different breach entry points, I was curious for a long time how much of this game is generated and how much is handcrafted. Yeah. I think I pretty much uh, concluded that those are generated because I got one where it was like, the last person through this breach point will go into Overwatch. Also, all people through this breach point will go into Overwatch. <laughs> so there are these little redundant choices there. So like, I, I think you're randomly choosing these. I don't think they have any meaning at all. Um, that that's a mechanic that we were going to do for breach wizards, or it was on the table. Was breach abilities, like when you when you bust through a door. Not only do you bust through the door, but because you're doing it with this character, there's some kind of perk to that. And we might still do them. I'm finding with XCOM. I mean, the thing XCOM does actually is not what we were going to do, which is they uh a breach perk is a function of the entry point not of the person who goes through so it doesn't matter who breaches whoever it is they will get this buff because the the window is buffing you <laughs> or the door is buffing you i mean some of them make sense like you know if you blow up a wall the perk for that is usually that everyone will be really surprised if <laughs> a wall blew up <laughs> um but then others are, seem pretty arbitrary. I don't, like, what is it about this plate glass window that means the last person through it will go into Overwatch? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, those feel arbitrary in a way that I wouldn't really want for our game. Um, our game, they're supposed to be to do with a character. Um, and a character can have... characters. It's confusing because characters can have a, a breach-specific ability that is not an ability that breaches. <laughs> uh, which is after they've breached, on that first breach turn, which is like a special phase, they get to use this ability that they then can't use once the mission starts, even if they didn't use it in the breach turn. Um, which is kind of weird. Um, but yeah, it all feels like a mess of concepts. Like, it is cool. Yeah. Like once you actually, once the breach happens and it goes into slow-mo thing and ev- everything, it's really nicely presented in terms of, it feels like slow-mo but actually time is paused and it's um, you're cycling through these targets and um figuring out who to hit when and sometimes you pull off like a really neat sort of execution of all the key targets on your first turn and that feels nice um but it's
0: weird though I I I find it I mean it's a it is a really great traumatic moment and you do feel great when when yeah when you pull off lots of kills but it feels so uneven I often feel that I didn't really earn you know that big success because you can delete enemies you know, that is a very, it's super powerful. And then, you know, and then, and then people are surprised. And, you know, that wasn't really down to me either because I only had two brooch points and one of them was all negative things. And the one I went through <laughs> was all positive effects. And of course I was going to go for that. And and then the room's clear. And I, you know, I just, oh, okay, well, I didn't really feel I had much to do with that and my characters and the way that I've I've equipped them and things that didn't also play that much of a part in it. Um, it's a great moment um, with a very powerful payoff and yeah it's a bit hands-off
2: it it can feel a bit hands-off for me Mm. Um, those I think it gets less common that you can clear a room in a breach as Mm. the game goes on like at this point I I don't think in the last sort of five odd missions I've played I don't think I've ever killed someone in one hit in a breach like I've If I want to take somebody out in a breach, I need at least two people to hit them. Um, And so that's, it's less of a like huge win. And usually what you're focused on is like, there's four aggressive enemies and aggressive means they're going to shoot you during the breach. And so I will get Verge to levitate one of them so that they're not, um, or what I'll do is I order it so that Godmother goes through first, because she's got a powerful shotgun. She's going to try and she'll find an aggressive enemy that has like a decent medium amount of health and try and kill them usually she won't be able to kill them in one shot and so then blue blood is next he's the pistol guy he can finish somebody off he does a smaller amount of damage but he's good at hitting things and so he's kind of uh seals the deal and then uh assuming we were able to take out that aggressive enemy uh verge will usually be third and he will levitate um an aggressive enemy that just has a crazy health bar, just one we're never gonna kill him in a breach. So we don't even try, we just have Verge levitate him to stop him. And then Zephyr, um, she's the melee one. Her breach ability, she can't shoot anybody because she doesn't have any guns. And <laughs> so she just like she just basically plans to attack somebody during the breach phase. Like everyone else is doing all this cool shooting stuff, and she just kind of looks at someone threateningly. She does that like matrix come here kind of gesture at somebody. Um does <laughs> she actually, yeah, she
0: actually animates that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, it, uh, <laughs> it like freezes on her doing the the come here gesture. Although, she, like the person doesn't come there, she has to go to them. <laughs> uh, but then it's uh, it's still awesome because um, they brought back my absolute favorite ability in XCOM. XCOM, I think if you'd asked me after XCOM two, my favorite ability was it's either Kill Zone or Blade Storm, and Kill Zone is the sniper one where you set up a field of fire and every single thing that enters it gets shot um, on the enemy turn, and that's really cool um and bladestorm is the was the assault class melee specialty ability where every time an enemy enters or leaves melee range of this person or tries to attack in melee range of this person they get a free melee attack on them um and i remember it being amazing in XCOM, and zephyr has it in in uh chimera squad but zephyr rather than using a sword and slicing everybody um she just kicks people in the face. <laughs> and I loved this ability before, but now it's up, like this has replaced swap as my favorite ability in, in all of XCOM. Um, it just makes me laugh out loud every time it happens. There's something just... Kicking somebody in the face is pretty funny to begin with. <laughs> but the fact that it's... Um, you so rarely get anything free in XCOM. Everything's like hard-earned. If you get to, if you get to even take a shot on somebody the enemy turn, it's because you wasted one of your actions setting that up and then it usually misses anyway because you have a huge accuracy debuff. Whereas this is just like free violence all the time. (laughs) And it's so common. Like um, I think one of the glorious things about it is the enemy doesn't seem to know it exists. They're not allowed any awareness that this is going to happen to them. And so um, I feel like I'm trolling the enemy with this character. I will just like, I'll have her run into danger. My choice for who I have her do the matrix move at in the breach phase is not based on who i want her to take out it's just like who's in the most awkward position just someone who's miles in like really deep into enemy lines in the middle of everything uh, let's get zephyr over there because once she's there she's going to kick this person on the breach turn but then everyone who moves past her during that the enemy turn is going to get kicked in the face as well <laughs> and uh i even had it where On her way to kick somebody in the breach phase she passed somebody else and so she kicked them because technically that entered her melee range even though she was the one who was moving (laughs) um and yeah it's just so satisfying just to see like uh you know you can just kind of park her after she's kicked this one person um she also gets a free momentum move so after she's kicked she can also take another move and (laughs) i that could get her out of danger. Or what I more normally do is, if that enemy actually dealt with, if we've taken them out, then I just move her to be adjacent to somebody else so that next time they try and do anything, they also get kicked in the face. <laughs> I should, um, so
0: you mentioned uh, sort of uh, violence. Um, we should probably sort of mention that we, the other game that we're talking about tonight is another strategy, uh, turn-based strategy game. Um, and there's like the 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 comparison between these two games is like super fascinating. And mm. I, I so we've we've always been playing Gears Tactics, um, Graham. You've you've uh, you you had the go first, didn't you?
1: Yeah, um, like Gears Tactics was announced at E three like a year and a half ago, I think, alongside a bunch of other Gears things. Like it was announced at the same time, I think, as the Gears Funko Pops game. <laughs> Uh, for mobile uh which probably unfairly tainted gears tactics in some way of like oh Mm -hmm. they're making a bunch of weird spin-offs for gears and gears feels like a series that like gears 5 got really good reviews but it feels like a series that's sort of no one's super interested or excited about gears games right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) it doesn't feel like and the last one i played was two um, but I've played. I've only played a couple of hours of Gears Tactics so far, but it turns out to be really good, yeah. um, based on my experience and based on reviews it's getting. Um, it. The reason I was interested in it was I had a similar experience to you, Alex, with XCOM 2, where I just bounced off it. I really liked XCOM: Enemy Unknown. But with XCOM 2, I found it stressful. And in particular, I found the geoscape stuff Mm. just too much, Um, too, too many things popping up on a map, too many countdown timers um and not enough way for me to understand like which of these things is important what is the thing i should be caring about how do i prioritize these things uh i think tactics just doesn't have that strategy layer at all it doesn't have a geoscape or anything equivalent it is just like chimera squad it, it's just the battles um and it's a it's a proper gears of war game turned into a tactics game in the you could take control of a squad of incredibly wide men, <laughs> um, most of whom are bald, uh, And you mow down, I would say far more enemies than you ever fight in any of the XCOM games at once. Yeah. Like there are, there are hordes in this that you're fighting against. I think it's set 12 years before the first gears of war. Uh, I'm not even sure if it's set on earth. I think it's set on earth or it might just be a planet which has been colonized. I'm not, I'm not up in my gears lore, but you're moving your way through these cities, which are ravaged, um, half destroyed, being fully destroyed by other humans in an attempt to get rid of the alien blight that are bursting out from underneath the ground. And you're putting together like a a little squad of, of muscle meat men. Um, and you like it's it's very similar to XCOM in a lot of the ways to do with how the combat works, although it's it's been years since I played XCOM too, so correct me if if any of this is different. But you know, you enter into an area, um, it's not interleave turns, you're gonna move all your men, then the enemy's gonna move all their guys. It's an action point system, and each of your units has three or four action points, which you can then spend however you want across moving or moving a bit further if you want to spend more action points on it or just stay still and take three shots at enemies um, which is useful when there's 10 enemies running at you at the same time all in the same field Um, your units aside from having guns and grenades also have special abilities so for example um, the main man Gabe Diaz who's sort of like the third-person shooter protagonist main character man um, <laughs> he, he has like the ability to give an action point to any of his fellow soldiers on the battlefield which can be useful for getting you out to, out of jams you there's a scout character that you pick up a scout class rather you pick up quite early on that she can turn invisible um she's useful and then it's got a bunch of, like, gearsy y type stuff to try and encourage you, I think, to play it more like you would a Gears game. So, for example, if you shoot an enemy and reduce their health bar to nothing, they enter into a down state where they're on their knees, at which point you can charge over to them to perform an execution move. And if you run over to them and perform that execution move, everyone on your squad then gets an extra action point, mm. um, which is, like hugely powerful and encourages you to play quite aggressively. Like, like you can set up scenarios where you down an enemy, send a man like over cover into quite a dangerous situation so that you can execute someone so that all your other guys can then get action points so that they can go shoot more men and maybe put themselves into a position to execute someone so that everyone gets another action point again and propel yourself across the battlefield this way. Um, how much have you guys played it?
0: I played similar to you, I think, um, maybe maybe another hour or so. Um, I've started getting more characters joining the, the gang. Mm-hmm. and um, But, like, yeah, the the missions have been up until I think I got a generated one, the first generated one recently, like one of the last ones I'd played. But, yeah, I've just been playing through story. It's been, you know, Cutscene, like the cutscenes, are very high production value. Yeah, like yeah. You, it's, blown you're away. kind of used to to tactics games, kind of just either you know doing the Chimera thing of having sort of comic book style kind of interstitial stuff, or kind of fairly rough, you know, in-engine stuff. And this is like, oh my god, it looks like a full-blown Gears game.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. I'm about an hour in. I think I've just got. I'm doing the first mission where you have more than two people. Um, yeah. And that has been wild <laughs> because uh, I, I, I'd heard about the system, but that you execute people and you get free actions for it. But that's the way I heard it was you, you execute and you get free actions so you can keep chaining it together and get loads of actions. But that's not quite how it works. As you say, Graham, everyone else gets actions for it. And so yeah, but you don't. Uh, the person who did the execution is running out of actions, but everyone else is getting them. And when there's like two people, that's kind of interesting because it's like okay you could kind of leapfrog it if you have enough downed enemies you could have one execute that gives the other one enough action points to get to the another one to execute them and so on and that's kind of cool um you know because it's a lot more interesting having one star player doing everything um but then this mission where i've got four people that system becomes insane (laughs) like the first end of the first turn where we set up some good overwatch zones and mowed some people down there was like three or four downed enemies and by having my scout take out i think two of them and then uh, someone else take out a third like they're busy you know they're refueling each other in this leapfrogging way that i was already thinking about but then i was really like the guy at the back line has got six actions now (laughs) he can do like he can get all the way from the back line to the front line and kill like two more people um just off the back of this like banked actions he was just sitting there way back in the stacks just watching this happen and getting so amped up. Like, man, when you guys are done, <laughs> I can move infinitely fast. You can just like hear him sort of whooping, go,
0: yeah!
3: <laughs>
2: they do actually fictionalize it that way, right? Like, there's a line about like, oh, that's a site like that it makes me so amped up. But <laughs> <laughs> well, there's
1: also like the... Other than Gabe Diaz, the other soldier you start with is this walrus of a man called Sid, <laughs> who is like bold with an enormous mustache and an eye patch.
0: Yeah. Uh he is I, Marcus I'm, Phoenix. He's, just, he's, he's just the just most Marcus generic Phoenix.
2: man in the world.
1: Yeah, but I'm sort of instantly in love with him.
2: I love him. He's <laughs> great.
1: <laughs> but his his special ability is I think it's called like Intimidate or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Where yeah. he 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 just fucking roars on the battlefield and all the aliens. <laughs> If they're on Overwatch, then it disrupts their Overwatch, like into the interaction they're doing. And it causes them like everyone else to stagger backwards. So you've got all these mutants <laughs> that all just like stagger backwards six feet. <laughs> because this man roared at them.
0: Because this this is like Overwatch in this game is really, really important. Like it's mm. yeah. it it really wants you to like it, it like I, I don't know. I, I love this this sort of balance. It's uneasy balance. It's striking. All the tension. It's striking between. Um, it wants you to be aggressive, but it also you need. It also wants you to set up kind of in cover shooting. It's like playing the game. Like you know, in the game, you're constantly sort of one keying up between. Do I stay in cover and sort of shoot from here, or do I rush out and do an execution and and do you know play that way, and. Um, and and the way and when you set Overwatch and you set them in very defined um, arcs um, on the battlefield, and then the enemy will very frequently do the same, and constantly like oh I'm being locked down by these um, by by enemy Overwatch um, arcs, and so yeah when when bellowing man bellows like is the the best thing I I def you better believe I upgraded him to his ten yard bellow. <laughs>
2: They, I was, I was amazed that Overwatch is such a big part of it, and because uh, I thought that that the philosophy of this was the opposite. Like XCOM, XCOM Two is all about you know uh, careful shuffling and Overwatch zones and everything, and a problem they're always trying to solve with that series is how do we make the player be more aggressive? And then Gears is like, oh, just just rush in and murder people, and you get free actions for it, and it can go on forever. But actually, uh, Overwatch, I mean, a like you say, enemies. Enemies use Overwatch a lot, but um, it's actually quite different to XCOM where they will, they'll just point Overwatch right at you. <laughs> like mm. they, they can already shoot you, but they decided to Overwatch at you instead, or they do both. Um, and then when they have Overwatch on you, you can't even shooting back will trigger their Overwatch. So yeah. like everything you do will, shoot the, will trigger the Overwatch. And it seems to be, I think they, they want to encourage you where possible to have a different soldier solve the Overwatch problem for the first one. Like If there's anyone mm-hmm. who's not in that Overwatch zone, then they can kind of go on the side. Uh, but then your own overwatch is uh firstly it's it will take all the actions that you have left so if you have th- if you just if all you do in a turn is going to overwatch you'll be able to shoot three times in overwatch it's basically that kill zone ability i was talking about from xcom like just mm. that's just by default for any character um and then also i've never seen it miss <laughs> every single overwatch shot we've taken has hit and usually killed somebody
3: mm-hmm.
2: which is totally different to xcom xcom's like oh i guess you can go to overwatch but are we going to have a huge accuracy penalty because we don't want you to actually do anything get anything done with this and then he's <laughs> like nope, it's it's better than shooting them like if i shoot them i've got like a 10 percent chance if i go into overwatch 100 chance
0: <laughs> they they do they do miss but yeah it's um it and it's so good when you just see because it's it it also it feels very much like a horde mode game, which is like which is fitting because it's where horde mode came from, I think. Yeah. The first horde mode came from, from Ghost of Warden. And, and like it just yeah, as Graham said, like it throws enemies at you. And there's this one type, what are they called? The grots or the I don't know what they are. They're kind of the little these monkey fellas. Little monkey fellas. I remember them being really annoying in the original games, but um they come in these clusters at you and you just set up overwatch where they're coming at you and just watch just mowing down the bullet with bullets and it's just it feels so good but then you know it, it it's really controlled about it um you've then got to spend you know th- this is a game in which you run out you know you've got to reload all the time and reloading and managing your ammo um is really really important in this game and i i, I think that the gear series in general is tend to it the fact that it's actually a very tightly designed game is often forgotten hmm. like it and i think that this has inherited that sort of sense of you know interleaving opportunity you know everything is balanced by another thing yeah you can go out and execute somebody um, but that means they will be out in a dangerous place and you might better capitalize on that but you better you better be banking on killing stuff in order to keep those free um, those executions coming and you're not guaranteed an execution from downing an enemy. So there's everything is pitted against, you know, a very cl- clarified, you know, very distinct um, uh, danger point, And it feels really sort of beautifully balanced on that point.
1: It feels a lot... Like like I said, I didn't play much XCOM 2, but I played a lot of XCOM Enemy Unknown, and this, Gears Tactics, feels a lot more puzzly in its combat than mm. XCOM did to me. Like, it does feel like you're trying to unpick people's overwatch and work out how you can use your abilities in order to get this person over here an extra action point so you can get this person over there out of trouble and mm. then turn the tide by pushing back against them. Did XCOM 1 or 2 do the thing of... Because here, in order to interrupt someone's Overwatch mode, an enemy's Overwatch, other than just having Sid the yell at them, you have to use your pistol to do a disrupting shot. Like, just shooting them doesn't actually break their Overwatch. You have to use a specific skill. Does XCOM do that?
2: I don't think. I can't remember, but I don't think just shooting them disrupted Overwatch. I think you had to, like, if you disorient them, it would, and if you. certain status effects would take it off. but usually in XCOM, the, the main way you do it is some characters just have an ability that makes them immune to it. So you just run them out there and trigger it. Like they'll take the shot, but they, um, they won't hit and it's only ever one shot. So as long as you can get them to spend it on something, um, then you've got rid of it. Hmm. Cause
1: I really like that it forces you to use use your pistol in this situation like that Mm. that, like pushing you to flank pushing you to get into a position to be able to take the shot and then using a specific skill makes it feel a lot more satisfying
2: yeah it's actually um i hadn't really thought about this when playing and i probably should have it's a good incentive to split up right you don't want all your people in the same group Mm. because if an enemy gets overwatch on all of you none of you can do that pistol thing without themselves getting shot
0: Mm. yeah yeah
1: it's um did you see that it was made by i mean it's made by the coalition which are the developers that basically took over the gears series um after epic set it aside but it's also made by splash damage
0: i think splash damage what? actually may really did make it. yeah i, I think, think the, the, the coalition lead, are not...
1: they're the lead developers on it yeah um and like it feels like probably splash damage is best game like their first game that's not yeah. Not first game that's better than it is interesting. <laughs> 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 because Splash Damage previously made enemy territory, Quick Wars, and Brink and Dirty Bomb. And uh all of those games were interesting, but not necessarily always that much fun to play. Whereas this just feels really tight and satisfying. Yeah. Like even aside is from the kind of...
2: Sorry, is, is this their first single player game? Huh. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah, can't think of another
0: one. Oh, hang on, they did, didn't they? Did, did some mobile game at one point? I think if I can't remember.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm finding that mission that I was talking about. I had that amazing phase where I was chaining everything together and getting the same number of actions, and then the turn after, I think, is where I'm where I am now, and I just had to stop playing because it was so overwhelming. They were just <laughs> like we were already facing. We're facing like three groups of enemies, and I'd sort of I've destroyed one of those groups, and I think half destroyed another, um, and maybe killed one guy from the third group. And then, okay, end turn, did really well there. Um, and then it spawns like another group of enemies, by another five uh, melee dudes. And then uh, a spaceship flies by and drops off <laughs> another squad, and another <laughs> spaceship flies by and drops another squad, and then the hole that the first people came out of also spews out new enemies. And then a big thing comes up on screen saying, reinforcements incoming. <laughs> like, that wasn't the reinforcements. <laughs> it's it just like, I know that there are all these mechanics that let me take out more people than I can in an XCOM game. And like I, I can grenade that group of, of five melee guys and that will do them all um, and stuff like that. But I just look at the number of elements I have to think about here and just get like fatigue. <laughs> just, oh God, I don't know if I can face this right now. <laughs> Yeah, it's
0: funny, isn't it? Because it's like um, while XCOM puts the stress to the geoscape and the you know between ones and lets you be very generally very very kind of um, as uh, methodical in in the tactical mode, in 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 gears, it wants you very much to be feeling very stressed and overwhelmed. You know when you're playing the, the tactics game, like that is its thing. I think that it wants you to feel like you're up against this sort of this horde. I felt, but for me. There's been the the generated um, uh, mission I went on um, is one where there are these two points that you've got to capture and they're in different um, areas. So you'll need to, I had to divide up my four man team um, into these totally separate areas, couldn't really support each other at all um, and hold them by standing in the middle. And so far, I've found that standing in one place has not done me too many favors, especially when enemies (laughs) could come from any direction. Um, And I was, I was nervous about going in and I felt overwhelmed all the way through and, but I survived and did well. And I think that's the sort of the flavor it wants to give you, you know, like you're powerful, but you are, the numbers are always against you. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And those, those holes in the ground are nuts as well because they'll spew out, like three or four or five enemies every turn but you can grenade them in order to close them and so like you're super incentivized to send a person on that very first turn when you spot it to just mm. run the heck over to it and immediately throw a grenade to it because if not it's the difference between having to fight three enemies and having to fight 12 enemies
2: they do so much on their first turn like they can come out of that hole and run a whole screen's worth of of real estate towards you and take a shot and then take cover. And that's just the turn they spawned on. Like, we didn't know they were even going to be here till then.
0: um, And also uses up um, a grenade, which is on a really long cooldown. Like, it's it's three or four turns, I think. And grenades are super powerful as well. So you you kind of, I, I spend most of the game wanting them to be off cooldown.
1: I should say like although it doesn't have the geoscape stuff, it does have a lot of menus in between missions. Mm. Because like on on you get skill points, you pick up crates on the battlefield which have equipment in them and then, so you spend your time in between missions, retooling your soldiers, like uh, upgrading. There's a skill tree for passive skills and active skills, and there are like attachments and stuff for your weapons that give them better accuracy, better damage output. There's a lot of stats there. You can also customize your soldiers. So I gave Sid the Walrus a lovely pink checkered pattern on his on his machine gun. Mm. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff to tinker around with in between the missions, which I, you know, so there is still a, a macro level loop that you're getting from completing these missions to get new stuff to then outfit you and make your make your squad stronger, um, yeah. and the and the skill tree stuff seems like it's quite, like there's some juicy looking stuff on there alongside just like um, percentage stat increases and that sort of
0: stuff. Because and I also yeah, believe that like each of the skill um those skill trees they're kind of divided into these four quadrants for each of the the characters and um they apparently um i read and and this might be inaccurate but um i don't think that you will get beyond like level six or so i think that's pretty much as far as you'll get by the end of the um the campaign um and that means that you won't be able to sort of cross specialize that much if you want to get the the you know the the kind of like the end tree stuff in each of the different specializations for each of the characters which um which actually because it feels like you rush through getting stuff towards the start because every level up you get something like two skill points mm. but yeah i think you quickly feel that you're going to have to specialize um you know as they, as they get more back, like level up i thought the menu system's terrible though <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I feel like I haven't played it enough in order to condemn it, but I kind of, I want to at this stage. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't lay out things particularly clearly, and it doesn't make it easy to compare stats between things. And, like, I missed the first time through the menus that I had skill points to spend, or even that there was a skill tree. I just missed that completely yeah. until I went to start the next mission, and then it was like, oh, you've got you've got skill points.
2: I went to the equipment screen because they told me to go there and I, I was, I did all the equipment stuff and then I was looking for a character upgrade screen because I could see, I've been told they've been promoted. So I was really searching through the tabs, like, is it equipment? Is it missions? Is it something else? And I went to mission and um, it didn't seem to be there either. And then I, I went back to equipment. And then when I went to equipment by that way, I did see a button for, for going up on your skills, but yeah, that seemed weirdly hidden.
0: Yeah, I think that the fact that it um, that it flags so strongly that, that people haven't got new equipment or have leveled up properly is a sort of after <laughs> the fact, oh dear, nobody <laughs> nobody can navigate this stuff very well.
1: <laughs> I imagine it's going to get nightmarish as we get more soldiers, if you like, if we, if we end up with 10 or 15 people.
0: Well, this is so that one of the things that I just latterly realized is that so you can recruit these randomly generated i I think i'm pretty sure they're just randomly generated soldiers and they all they have equipment on them and that equipment might be useful but of course they're wearing it so you (laughs) i found myself recruiting characters just to get their equipment and then you have to strip it off them go through all of those (laughs) things
2: then you have to oh it was just it was really painful it was really painful (laughs) in chimera squad you would call that a spec ops <laughs> come to my office take all your clothes off that's your special operation <laughs>
0: but yeah i was um i I've, I've i've been enjoying it enormously i think it's like i don't i don't know whether it'll have long term appeal i wonder whether it's kind of really good for now and but it doesn't have anything more up its sleeve like i think that's what you've kind of getting out with the kind of the between mission meta stuff graham Mm. i don't know how much there is going on in that way
1: yeah i mean i suspect i'll play it through once and then be done with it in i don't know however long it's going to take 20 30 hours or whatever whereas obviously people play xcom for 200 hours and then just want to keep going i don't i'm assuming it's not going to be that kind of game Mm -hmm. um but i'm i'm okay with that like i'm less okay with the price i think because it's a 50 pound game and that feels weird but then at the same time i can't criticize it for that too much because i didn't buy it for 50 pounds i spent three pounds on xbox game pass Mm.
3: uh,
1: in order to get access to it
0: i think also like i think its price is sort of somewhat like that the, the fact the idea of a 50 pound price for this like you know given its production values mm. um is being massively skewed by the fact that that chimera at the moment is Chimera's quad right now is um very 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 cheap like extraordinarily cheap
2: yeah
1: what have you been playing alex
0: i've just been playing these games it's been <laughs> tactics all the way down <laughs> tactic fist oh and, and animal crossing obviously my daughter boxed me into my house by, by um, <laughs> terraforming around it. <laughs> <That's why. laughs>
2: is she the primary resident? Uh, yes,
0: she is. She has oh, no. she has extraordinary power, <laughs> 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 which we never voted on. So it's my daughter, my wife, and I playing, and. Um, yeah, She has, has sweeping powers that my wife and I don't know why, how she came in, into,
2: into them and what we can do about it. <laughs> I think nothing. I think you're stuck. Like I have loads of friends in this position where their, their kid was the first to play and their kid is now the sole person who can make any progress at all or authorize anything. And in a lot of cases, their kid has lost interest in the game. <laughs> so, uh, uh, c- can you please play some more Animal Crossing? <laughs>
0: it's but uh, i i mean there have been lots of complaints about it um about animal crossing not supporting more than one island on a machine yeah it's crazy um, but i couldn't i you know obviously it of people have different circumstances and so on and so on and so on for me i couldn't imagine playing it other way like the fact that 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 our, our island is extra alive because because my wife do stuff in an evening and hester will do something during the day and then i'll discover what they've been up to and have them send stuff to me and see what they're doing and like it's just it's mega it's so special for <laughs> mean it's been such a real joy to play over the last few weeks it's just um it's been a perfect tonic
2: awesome i've um i got into the whole turnip market <laughs> um, and uh, it was tense for a while there, but I uh, once you know that the turnip exchange exists, that kind of takes the sting out of the the risk element. So there's just a <laughs> site you can go to, and just like people post their prices, and it's it's super competitive. If there's has a good price, you've got to like apply to be in the queue to visit their island, and it can take like an hour to get through that. Um, and I've never used it, but I because I know it's there, I I know that you know if I invest all of my money in turnips on Sunday. Um, and I haven't seen a good price in many of my friends by Friday, uh, I'd probably go to crawling to the exchange and like, please take this off my hands. I'm in too deep. <laughs> <laughs> um, it hasn't come to that yet so far. And actually I, so I, there was one, um, one week where I just, I had 250 K in bells and I sunk it all into turnips, just give me all the turnips I can afford. Um, cause I'm sure I'll get a good price. And I did, uh, like halfway through the week, um, and made, I think, two million off that. Um and then, uh, and then of course you're kind of sorted because then next week, 250k is about an inventory's worth of turnips. Like that's as many as you can carry. And so doing more than that is gonna be a huge pain in the ass. It's gonna be multiple trips to buy and multiple trips to sell. Uh, and if you're if you're you know queuing up to join someone's island, to do that twice just seems like hell to me. So I'm never really gonna spend more than that on turnips. So the next week. I have 2 million in the bank. I spend, you know, an eighth of it on turnips. And now i can make another two million off that if the price is good but if i don't i could throw it all away and i'll be basically be fine (laughs) and (laughs) probably not coincidentally i have stopped playing animal crossing (laughs) oh no (laughs) i just i had all all these things i needed to solve like i was i'm trying to build this bridge because it would look really pretty going over this waterfall i want to move my house so i can make this nice line of fruit trees that goes to it because it's all misaligned at the moment i want to pay for this person to move their house and upgrade this and buy this nice bit of furniture or whatever. And then I just did it all in like, you know, two days after getting that money. And now I have nothing left to look forward to. (laughs) And it's just like, well, I've achieved everything. I'm rich and it's all fine. And so I've kind of lost my impetus to play now. (laughs) I'm probably playing wrong.
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, I've made a very... Very. I've made a graph for the the, um, the family. <laughs> the family turnip market prices. It has some. Um, it has a you know glow. You know sort of historical average. It's, it's full graphs. Two graphs. One for the week. Uh, one for the for the historical record. Um, yeah, it's it's totally useless, but it's really good. So we're kind of like checking every twice a day. But the um, our yeah, last week I on the turnip market, I managed to. I didn't realize what time it was. Like the 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 price just plummeted. Like we bought it something like eighty, and it ended up being at forty on um, on the Saturday. Saturday. So and I was just and then it got to nine fifty. No, nine fifty five. Um, on I didn't realize we were watching TV. And then the TV show ended. Check the time. Oh God, I've got five minutes to sell my. five minutes to sell the turnips. And so I logged in and that was the day on which, um, what happened? Uh, An advance had had been made. Yeah, it was an upgrade of some sort. No, KK Slider was in town. Fucking KK Slider was in town. (laughs) So I logged in and it subjected me to his entire song with the credits. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm there and I'm looking at the thing. got two minutes left, one minute left. And he finally finishes and then um, Hester had bought something, done something that then like uh, Nook came up and told me, to, oh, about the, the island editor thing. So he was giving me a demo of that and like <laughs> 30 seconds left. <laughs> like I stopped, I ran to the shop, it's closed. God damn it. This is just, no, you know, I've lost everything. This is like a hundred grand <laughs> of, of, um, of, um, of, of turnips.
1: What happens to the, do the turnips spoil? Like, I don't they know,
0: yep. they spoil, but so so I thought okay, right? And it's stu- in, in retrospect is stupid. I time traveled. I thought this is fair enough. It's not my fault that KK Slider did a concert for me when I wasn't. I did not pay for this. This is not. I don't want to go to a concert tonight. Okay, <laughs> I'm busy. Um, I'll you know, time travel. So I time travel back one hour, but of course, of course, the um, the plant turnips are already um, spoiled because they'd been saved as spoiled in in you know in in real time, and I'd lost I lost the lot. I think I got like a thousand <laughs> bells for the for the rotten the rotten turnips. Oh man! I so can then still I sell rotten turnips yeah you can for sort of like a small fee it's a small amount but then of course i'm cleaned out i've got no money oh no that was just stupid though actually the reason i didn't know was just stupid because i then paid it into i paid it into my house assuming that i'd have a bunch of money you know some uh, right. and, yeah that was and that's my animal crossing stalk Okay story
2: <laughs> I love the image of like there's a the KK slider thing is that like everyone's been building up to that for months you know it's a huge event I am super excited <laughs> about and it's only really happening and you're just like kicking in the nook twins door <laughs> why are you fucking open? I hope you're all happy with your fucking concert. My turnips are ruined <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly how it played out) <laughs>
1: Shall we do questions from questions?
0: Hey, let's do that. Um, First one comes from Noel Warford, uh, who writes, what are some good older games that might might have been regulated to your Steam backlogs that would be worth pulling out again when staying at home? For me, SteamWorld Heist, Desktop Dungeons, and God help me. Idle Champions of the Forgotten Realms have been fitting that bill nicely. You've been finding yourselves playing anything old? You too.
2: Yeah, I um, went back to Kentucky Route Zero. Now that mm. it's uh, finally finished, and um, uh, I think I'd stopped at episode one. I think I stopped at the bears, <laughs> there <were> some bears, <laughs> and I stopped there. That might be maybe that's early in episode two, um, or act two, I should say. And I played through it all. I went through a lot of. Uh, different platforms i played it on switch at first and then i found that the text was just not comfortable to read uh, in portable mode at least um and then i didn't really get into it until i got a massive tv because i just find the text really unpleasant to look at um it's it's white on black so maximum contrast but with a slightly um uncomfortable font for me at least um so it wasn't until it was like 55 inches big that i could (laughs) comfortably read it and then it's a gorgeous like um uh series of uh, surreal images and um just lovely scenes and uh, beautifully staged um things and every time there's a song in it like a proper song with singing um is just sublime uh, they're all really really good and really well used and just like create these perfect moments i can't say i got much out of the story um and I also ended up feeling like I didn't want to be driving this game. I just felt like actually interacting with it was kind of uh, only getting in the way. Um, and I ended up for Act 5, I was I almost didn't play it. I was almost like, oh, just kind of the amount of sort of effort to make this text appear as fast as I want it to and to just progress through this stuff is um, too much for the very low key enjoyment I'm getting. But I do want to see all the visuals because just the that was the, the um, best part for me. And so I just watched the last act on YouTube, which I know is sacrilege for the, the people who love Kentucky Route Zero, because you, you do choose, <laughs> you don't make sort of branching choices, but you choose how, you basically write help write the narrative by choosing what, what is said. And often it's not things that your character is saying, you're actually deciding what happens by just picking a description of what happens. Um, but I'd never really cared that much. It was always like, eh, I'll just say this one, I guess. <laughs> um, so I'm perfectly happy for someone else to make those choices. And actually the person I watched, I think their name was on YouTube um and I'll get the link for show notes but uh I really enjoyed watching them play it because they're way more into it than I was and so kind of like I've talked about Christopher odd in the past who sort of gets more out of games than I do and so it's great to watch him uh this guy does too and he was noticing like you know a symbol on the floor in act five is a reference to a thing that happened in act one and they're talking about the neighbors. I'd never heard that term before, but apparently I had because that's been mentioned a bunch of times and he remembers, <laughs> but I don't. Um, and yeah, he just made way more sense of it than I ever would. And also he did all the interactive stuff, which I don't really care about. <laughs> and uh, I got to see some really beautiful moments from the act. I ended up kind of thinking, I should have just watched this whole game on YouTube. <laughs>
1: um, it's, it's not the game that I... Like, I keep having grand ambitions, basically. Hey, it's lockdown. I'm going to I'm gonna make more effort to play games with other people. I'm going to play Hunt with Marsh, which we did once and then never again. <laughs> um, I'm going to play Sea of Thieves with people, which I've managed to do once and then never again. Um, the only thing that's actually stuck in this, um, I'm a massive cliche, but it's Sp- Spelunky, the Spelunky Daily, hmm. which I haven't played Spelunky probably since I was last on the podcast, like properly four years ago or whatever like it just hasn't been a thing i've even had installed but it's been really nice going back to the daily and it turns out there are a couple of people that are still doing the daily every day paul dean um games journalist he still turns out he still does the spelunky daily every single day he's just on the scoreboard uh john t does as well yeah john t's the other person i was going to say he was the person who actually poked me about it and said that i should start doing it um, and so it's been fun just competing with John T every day and getting roundly trounced in the leaderboard with John <laughs> T every day.
0: My entire um Steam collection is uh one just pile of shame, so I can't even <laughs> focus on what I should do. Like so I use the favourites thing to um to kind of put put games into where I usually will then forget about them, even though they're at the top of the list because I just (laughs) sort of edit them out of my vision. Um, But in that list right now, we have Sekiro, which I really did want to play more of, but only got as far as the big bad snake thing. Um, And we've got Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which I do spark up now and then. I'm, I'm only... 30 hours in or something <laughs> no Yep, i'm 28 hours in which i know is nowhere yeah i last time i went in there I, I i noticed how much of the map i've i've visited and i was i don't know i just don't know what to think about it <laughs> and then there are all these kind of dlc packs which i really want to experience you know the Lesian fields or whatever the hell they are and um yeah I, I i don't know whether i can ever see it because i'm i'm only 28 hours in <laughs> um yeah so but i have not pl- managed to play any of these things because um, there's been cool new things to play instead thanks for that question noel um so uh here's another one from nick wheeler um who writes um to us about crisis um with his memory jog because crisis remarkably is heading to the switch um, um he remembers how back in the day uh, the big question was always, that, yes, but w- will it run crisis? Um, and he remembers the first time he played it, um, which was um, towards the end of the game, going to a aircraft carrier and meeting a character um, uh, whose shirt was kind of um, suffering for some terrible graphics glitch. He says that um, where you'd expect to find a well-pressed uniform, instead a shifting kaleidoscope of graphical glitches met my eyes, for a moment, I believe that the Admiral had been caught out of uniform in the chaos, but then the mismatched colours of his garment began to swirl. This was not a garish Hawaiian shirt. It was some kind of Lovecraftian attire, attire ironed by madness and adorned with a collar from outer space. Uh, uh, the briefing continued with such military jargon, but um, I was transfixed by uh, this weird, swirly, glitched shirt. And... Um, uh, He asks whether anyone else encounters that shirt or whether he's alone in that madness. (laughs) I didn't get there. (laughs) I imagine neither of you did. But then secondly asked, what's the most memorable glitch that you've ever encountered in the game that's had absolutely
2: no impact on gameplay? I had uh, a thing with an Oblivion DLC. Um, It was the Knights of the Nine. And you sort of became, as always in an Elder Scrolls game, you became their Lord and God <laughs> um, and led them into battle and stuff within about five minutes. Um, but one of them, I wrote about this for PC Game at the time, but it was many, many years ago. Um, a guy called Thedrit had a glitch on my game where his arms just extended out horizontally like he's in a T-pose. It wasn't quite a T-pose though. Like, the rest of him was perfectly natural. He was just opening his arms up as if to say, I caught a fish this big. (laughs) And he was just stuck like that throughout all dialogue and all combat. He would just always have his arms (laughs) fully outstretched. And it looks completely absurd, but I became really attached to him because he was so, this was so like personal to me, like only I get this guy. (laughs) And so uh, if he ever died in combat, I would have to reload an earlier save because at the Exaggerator was the only uh, thing I truly cared about in that world.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And he persisted between saves
2: between yeah. sessions <laughs> Wow
0: that's a good one and he was perfectly um, capable in combat <laughs>
2: yep it <still> worked
0: <laughs> <laughs> I tend to find that um the, 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 the glitches are forever and definitely definitely um, uh, impact on the game itself I don't have anything to to say <laughs> uh, so John. Uh, writes, I was just listening to your podcast and for reasons my only my brain can answer to but I spent a good 30 or seconds or so pondering what the hell could be meant by unusual wind conditions in a game. <laughs> Instantly I was transported to day z with its unsettling environmental sounds what, what that while initially scary eventually form a comforting background harm against which threats stand out imagine then to my surprise to tune back in and found the question actually made sense and was thoroughly interesting to hear discussed i think that he's referring to a discussion about wind conditions is that i think uh yeah, it's
2: in victory conditions
0: yeah um I couldn't hear. stop hearing wind condition for the rest of the recording despite myself. My, so my question is this, what are the most unusual wind conditions you remember in a game? Well, I will also consider answers involving unusual wind conditions while playing games. Thanks for putting on even these <laughs> trying times you are helping.
2: There was one in Inside. I don't remember. There's a bit in Inside where you're sort of going between oh, yeah. like protective cover, but anytime uh, periodically, there'll be this massive, like, is it a fan or something, or is it just like a, a sort of mystic honking blast? <laughs> but some kind of wind type entity uh, <laughs> destroys anything that isn't shielded by some kind of cover.
0: Yeah, that was a yeah. There's um, I going back to um, Animal Crossing, I do remember the um, the the guy like, get just on some days it's windy and, you know, usually the trees are sort of ruffling gently, but on windy days they really move around and um, while. It's a bit exaggerated um it yeah it's just one of these little things that sort of there aren't many things it can do with environmental conditions like it can do rain um and sort of non-sunny conditions it can do sunny uh and then it can do things like snow or you know autumn feeling or or blossom and things but that's quite a sort of a a low dynamic range of, of, of of wind weather conditions but the wind kind of gives this sort of, quite a sort of extra little dynamic feel to a, sort of quite a, a limited set of, of things, which I kind of really enjoy. Hmm. Graham, do you have anything to add here?
1: I have no I have no wind anecdotes of unusual wind <laughs> <laughs> that I can think of.
0: <laughs> uh Thanks for that question, John. Um, moving on to Kane, who um, has found diagnosing patients in Project Hospital is the most in- interesting vet investigation in a video game. And that's probably because illness is something we're all familiar with from real life. We know what symptoms like breathing difficulties, abdominal pain and A180 deficiency. I don't know what that means, but OK. Uh, and when we see a patient with a chest pain, we don't need the games to, to help us make the reduction. deduction. deduction uh, I wonder if this could be a heart problem because we know the chest is where the heart be at. Crime and deceit are also familiar to us, which is why all the other good investigations in games are about murders and conspiracies. We know what it means to find fingerprints on a gun or to catch a suspect in a lie. Are there any things other than crime or medicine that could make for a good investigation system in a video game?
1: I, I had a thought with this which was uh, I would like a game in which you you, come along after car crashes <laughs> and uh, or after physics disasters of any kind like yeah. plane crashes or building collapses where you have to because a lot of physics systems can be deterministic, uh, there should be possible to uh, you know have a building say where there are certain struts that bombs have been placed on to cause that building to collapse. Um, I want to come along and either try and diagnose, well, why did this building collapse? What structural problems caused it to collapse? Was it a bomb? Was it something else? Or be like a, a someone working for an insurance company that comes along after a, <laughs> you know, after a crash from, one of the burnout games and tries to work out well, who, who exactly was at fault for this particular crash? Was it the driver of the black car? Or who was driving too fast? Who tried to change lanes and when? I
2: mean, yeah. that is in, in concept, but not in, not in execution. That's the premise of Obra Dinn, right? You're an insurance yeah. investigator and it's your <laughs> job to decide. It's not just solving murders. It's, um, your ultimate goal is to assign culpability. Like which of these deaths is the, uh, East India Company's fault, and which ones were the you know the person's own fault for getting themselves killed?
1: I didn't realize that actually. I I, I knew that Obra Din was like an investigation into all these deaths about a boat, but I didn't realize you were an insurance person.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't
2: yeah. have anything you were talking about with where actually you're trying to reverse engineer like physics stuff because that that could be really interesting.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be such a good game.
2: <laughs> I had an idea, um, this is still in the realm of crime, which I know Kane already mentioned, but um, I was thinking, it's actually inspired by Animal Crossing turnips. (laughs) Um, Because people like you, Alex, uh, people are making graphs of their uh, turnip prices. And there's also a site where you can plug these numbers in, and it will predict what you might be on track for for the rest of the week. And the reason it can do that, uh, the reason it can do that is there are only a fixed number of profiles your turnip prices can follow in a given week. There's one called declining, which means it's only ever going to get worse. There's one called small spike, which means you know on Thursday or Wednesday, it's going to go up by X amount and then go down. After that, it'll go up like twice and then go down. Um, and then the big spike means it will go up three times and then it'll go down. And get, given the prices during the week, it can't tell you for sure because there is variance within them. It's not like it's always uh, you know, 125 on day two. Uh, there's always a range. But as you get more information, it can narrow that down and it can rule out, okay, you're definitely not in a declining pattern. You're definitely not in a small spike pattern. So you might be in a big spike pattern or you might be in this other one. And so it will give you a percentage chance of which thing you're in, given the prices you've seen. And that's obviously, um, that's kind of interesting in itself, but it's a bit of a weird abstract thing. It's only because of the game, the game is coded that way that you can do this. But it made me think I would love a game where I am trying to profile an AI um i think maybe in like an rts type context so maybe this isn't a crime thing um but i would love to be playing against an ai and look at their moves and think all right given that they've gone for that control point and they didn't defend this one and they seem to be going this there's only two different ai profiles it could be it's either greedy or it's turtling and (laughs) if it's turtling i know what their next move is going to be so i'll try i'll test them out i'll see like if I attack here, do they build a turret? And if they build a turret, I know, okay, for sure it's turtling. And now that I know their AI profile, I can predict them and like get the better of them. I think something like that would be kind of cool, where like the the limitations of the AI are a
0: something feature. the game is not,
2: not hiding from and not trying to disguise. It's saying like, mm. okay, our AI's are limited, but there's 10 of them, and you've got to figure out which one we're using in this particular scenario. And once you do, then you can really uh, beat it.
0: Final question, actually, um, is quite neatly, it uh, goes back to the NIPs. Um, this is from Sieg <laughs> Bretling, who uh, writes to us to say, Hi, I hope you and your lesson as well. I offer as a tribute a question, what games have mechanics that keep the user inside the intended game loop? Mechanics to say, I know you might want to exploit the system, but here's an incentive for you to humor the system. And he brings up a case study, uh, a very pertinent one. Um, you're recently playing... Animal Crossing New Horizons, I often play late at night when the shops are closed. Same as me. Um, It's very annoying. Um, I finally decided to use time travel. He writes, "Um, I found there to be no huge disadvantage to time travel outside of a small daily bonus to the miles currency. It was wonderful. Like playing a Minecraft creative server, I could play on my own terms at my own pace. Then I bought some turnips to try and get that nip money. I quickly realized how the turnip market keeps timetable in check. Going past the Sunday makes the turnips rot. Going back in time makes the turnips rot. So maybe actually, my when my turnips rot, this is Alex speaking, not Steve. <laughs> um, um, maybe maybe that's why that they, they it wasn't simply because they turned over in in my actual real time. Is that could I actually t- turn the time? Anyway. Um, the the turnips and the daily miles bonus are very effective tools to keep the exploits at bay what other examples from games are this uh what other examples from games are this uh perhaps this is a common feature in 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 um, in many games especially in online ones uh, or perhaps this is a notable uh, example because of its diegetic quality this just made me anything? realize
2: that sorry uh, this made me realize that um the, I was talking about the funny image that of of you kicking in the nook's doors and then yelling at the concert. <laughs> the, the fact that you then you then travelled back in time and arrived with an armful of rotting turnips is <laughs> even funnier. Like, <laughs> no, I'm too late. I'm too late. <laughs> I've come from the future. I bear rotten turnips. <laughs> the Turnips are rotting in every timeline. <laughs> it's
1: your nips, Marty. Something's got to be done about your nips. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I, I this doesn't feel ex- like exactly what uh, the questioner is asking for, but it did remind me of a thing of anti-exploits. And the, the one that always made me laugh was the um, uh, one in Half-Life 2 where they realized speedrunners were going too fast by bunny hopping. So every time hmm. you jump, if you were already going pretty fast, in some way it, it would sort of endlessly accelerate you. So as long as you kept bunny hopping correctly, you'd keep gaining speed. And the way they tried to solve that was to add a little bit of a backward force on you when you land to counteract that and then speedrunners realized they could just turn around 180 and then now this thing that was supposed to stop them from going so fast would actually accelerate them because as long as you're not facing the way you're going it will make you go in that direction even faster
0: yeah that's such a good one that's led to all kinds of kind of issues and sort of weirdnesses with the engine ever since for games like which have inherited parts of its sort of you know like i don't know was there something about titanfall because it because it was built fundamentally on source that it had to get around that in those these things in some way, I vaguely remember because they were just coded so deeply into the game. <laughs> um i just I had thought of a, an, another example also from Animal Crossing, but the earlier ones, um, there's a character called Mr. Rossetti, um, who is a very angry mole, um, who would, if you didn't save your game um in the last session he'd pop up outside your house when you came out of it and just berate you with this incredibly <laughs> long dialogue where he would just tell you off for what you did, uh, and threaten you threaten that he'd take away the game, threaten that nothing would work. <laughs> he would, and he would keep you talking. His purpose was basically to annoy you by just not stopping talking oh, and worrying yeah. you slightly. At some point you would know <laughs> that there's it, it all empty, empty threats, but, um, but, um, but but the, the the real punishment was the fact that he would just go on and on and on. Because at that point, <laughs> um, presumably when you when you loaded a save, it would put a little check on your existing save to say a new game has been started, but it wouldn't, but the save process was quite long and you'd have to do it at the end of every session. And like it would be enacted by it, you'd have to go to bed and that would be the thing that initiated the end of your game. Um, and that process was long and tedious. But also, if you did something and you did, you wanted to go back on it, or maybe, you know, turnip Market did exist in that, on the GameCube version, I think. Certainly in later ones where the sleep system and Mr. Rossetti were around, um, you would, if something was up and, you know, you didn't want to save because the time was wrong and you wanted to go back in time and so the game wouldn't know about it, um, Mr. Rossetti was there to stop you. So, like, I think, was yeah, this maybe, name.
2: Sorry, was his name because he was about resetting the game?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's exactly why. <laughs> I,
1: like the, I like that. It's, like, it's almost a much more pleasant version of some of the cheap the prote- not the cheap protection, the piracy protections you get in some games. So like there was a Serious Sam game where if you downloaded a pirated copy of it, they dropped... A, uh an infinitely quick invincible scorpion into the game with you They would just like (laughs) chase the player around and like do damage to you at all times and so you can advance um but there was this, this this is a really terrible way of trying to stop exploits but the football manager series where i'm a i'm a filthy save scummer in championship manager and football manager um but at some point during that series history, they started trying to clamp down on that stuff by making it harder for you to quit the game without saving. Um, but then what they did after that was they introduced cheats, which you had to pay real money to activate. <laughs> 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 and so like if a if player gets injured in your game, um, you can pay like a pound of real money for a magic sponge in order to instantly heal that player. Uh and like that's just microtransactional hell. <laughs> and they eventually they eased up, I think, a bit on like trying to stop people from save scumming so you can still do it. But there was a brief period of like two or three years, I think, where it was like they're one on the one hand trying to stop you from cheating the usual ways, and then on the other hand trying to charge you money so you could
0: cheat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's kind of like anti cheat stuff as well, where like what is it, the Talus principle? If you're a cheat, you there's an elevator that it just traps. It goes halfway up to a point. I don't know what point this is in the game, presumably fairly early on, or like a, like a chunk into the game. Uh, this elevated and it locks you in if you've got a pirated one, and you can't get out, <laughs> and you're stuck there, sort
2: of looking out over the world and unable to get out. And there's quite a lot the of most, examples
0: of those kinds of things.
2: Yeah, the most um, sort of delicious one I heard of was. I think it's game dev story where you're trying to run a game developer and um, trying to, you know, uh, you decide some basic defining features of your game and then you're you're told how well it sells and stuff, but they leaked a pirated version of their own game where um, if it detected you're playing the pirated version, uh, your games would always uh, bomb financially because too many people (laughs) were pirating them. (laughs) That's awesome. The Talos
1: the, 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 um, principle is made by the same people as Sirius M. So maybe a crow team are just really, really good at fucking with people who pirate <laughs> the games.
0: <laughs> and that's all the questions we have for this week. Um, it remains for me to say, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash... <laughs> And crowbar <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> you can follow us you can listen uh to our pods and enjoy some other extra content that we have made over the t- over the years at uh, on our YouTube uh, channel which is at Creighton crowbar you can visit us online at our website which is creightoncrowbar.com. thanks to our patreon sponsors um who make a lot of what we do on this pod uh, possible. Thanks so much. Um, you can uh, find out about sponsoring yourself um, at uh, 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 patreoncom slash crowbar and those are all the formalities, I think.
1: You can also join our Discord community with us. Thank a link you. Uh, CravenCrowbar.com, and if you want to send us your own questions, you can do so uh <laughs> questions at com <craidencrowbar.com.
2: laughs> oh, And you man, can also follow us on this. Twitter individually. I am at Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T.
1: I am at GONAS, G-O-N-N-A-S.
2: And I am rotational,
0: R-O-T-A-T-A-N-O-A. Oh, I don't even know. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's how the word is spelled.
0: <laughs> Regardless, thanks for <laughs> thanks. Listening. listening, everybody. everybody. everybody.